welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as they discuss the journey they've had with their own voice, as well as light bulb moments, stories, and personal wisdoms. Vocal Freedom is a bi-weekly podcast raising awareness about vocal health and well-being from members of the voice community. My guest this week is renowned CCM vocal coach and session singer Kim Chandler. Kim runs a busy private studio in Marbella, Spain, where she coaches a worldwide clientele of signed artists, professional singers and other vocal coaches online. She's regularly invited to run masterclasses, workshops and teacher training events and is also a regular presenter at national and international voice conferences, including being a keynote speaker in her home country of Australia. As a performer, Kim has three decades of high-end performing experience in both live performance and studio singing. Aside from her voice being heard on films, albums, cruise shows and thousands of jingles worldwide, she's also sung with artists such as the Bee Gees, Natalie Cole, Michael McDonald, Björk, Michael Bolton and Susan Boyle, in addition to having performed at some of London's most iconic locations, such as the Royal Albert Hall, Wembley Arena and Stadium, the O2 Arena and Buckingham Palace. Welcome to the podcast, the beautiful Kim Chandler. Thank you for joining me all the way from Spain. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So my first question, how would you describe your journey with your voice? So how many years do you have for me to answer this question? <laughs> this is it. Well, uh-huh. <laughs> bullet pointed. Well, I yeah, two words I think probably sum it up. Um, complicated and interesting. Um, so basically, <laughs> I didn't start out life as a singer really. Uh, I grew up in a in a very very musical family where my mum's a singer, my dad's a singer. My grandmother, um, who we lived with um, early in the piece, was a professional pianist her whole life. So used to, she literally used to play the piano all day. So uh, yeah, so I, I definitely kind of grew up uh, around music. Um, they used to have house parties all the time, and and they would harmonise. They had a little harmony kind of group thing. My parents met at teachers' college. So they had a third person from the teacher's college who would provide the harmony, the other harmony, third harmony, if he was around. But if he wasn't around, then my grandmother, who was a smoker and therefore had a low voice, uh, would fill in the, um, the the low parts when he wasn't around. Wow. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is kind of cool. So there were two things that people used to say to me routinely when I was growing up. One, you're going to be a singer just like your parents. And two, you're going to be a teacher just like your parents because my, my parents were actually – once I got through teachers' college, they were both um, uh, primary school teachers, and that's what they did for their whole careers. Uh, and uh, of course, ran all the music um, activities at any of the schools that they were at—the choirs, the musicals, the bands, etc. Um, but me, being the stubborn little kid that I was at that time, I was like, "No, I am <laughs> not going to be either of those two things." And lo and behold, the universe appeared to uh, have a different take on that, and I've ended up being both. Yes. Ha, 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 (laughs) says the universe to me. So anyway, uh, how things started off is I was an instrumentalist. I actually started very briefly on violin. Uh, Couldn't stand the fact that I couldn't play it in tune because I had very, you know, kind of developed ears at that point, and I couldn't, just couldn't get my fingers in the right place on the strings uh, and it just drove me crazy, the fact that it was just so out of tune. Even though it was out of tune because of me and my lack of skill, I just, I'd, I found my, I just wouldn't practice because I just couldn't bear the uh, the noise I was making. So then uh, I got moved onto a fixed pitch instrument, which was flute, and also did sort of piano as a second study as well. Um, so I, you know, I always sang in school choirs and musicals and things like that, but I, I never viewed myself as a singer as such, unlike my parents. Um, I was an instrumentalist darling, yeah, you know, so that's, that, that was my musical identity and sort of flirted with the sort of singing on the side as it were. So it was very, very serious about the flute, ended up d- uh, doing a bachelor of music for four year degree, uh, on it in the eighties and curiously started in a jazz band of, um, sort of a multi-harmony uh, band uh, called Scat, uh, where we did a lot of sort of the Manhattan transfer style, you know, really close-voiced, yummy harmony sort of mm. stuff. 
Um, so that's actually that was sort of my first proper vocal musical endeavor um, out of the other end of school, and then sort of fell from that into rock. And then that got heavier and heavier quite quickly, and I ended up in a metal band. Wow, I didn't know this. Yeah, fronting a metal band for about three years, whilst also playing in an orchestra. It's <laughs> so incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was very, very, very kind of surreal. I, I, I would literally do like an orchestral gig with my hair up in a bun and, you know, lovely long skirt and everything and, you know, playing my, you know, bark piece or whatever it was at the, at the time and then I would go into the, to the toilet sort of Wonder Woman style and come out with my with my <laughs> with my hair out um and you know leather and spikes and yeah. boots up, up to my knees and go off and do my metal gig so nice. yeah it was a, it was a, a quite sort of diverse background I guess and then in 1990 I was asked to record someone's um advert they said, we really like your voice and we would like you to sing our jingle. And I went, what's that? What, what, what's a jingle? Which it seems incredible to me now that I, I <laughs> there was a time when I didn't know what that was because I'm literally thousands and thousands <laughs> and thousands of jingles down the track now after 30 years. Um, but at the time I didn't know what it was. And uh, they said, you know, the, the thing that people sing on adverts for products. Oh, that. Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, yeah, I guess people do do that. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll give it a go. And um, Grace, more than amazing. I still remember it. Um, for Grace Cosmetics, there there was one that I actually that I did before that, which was for a um, oh god, sort of like a a meats uh, company of some kind, and it was called Kr Darling Downs. Um, and because I I was in a group of singers. It d- kind of didn't really hit me at the time that that was a jingle. It was. It was sort of. It was actually the the, the group that I was in, Scat, that I was telling you about the multi harmony thing. Yeah. They booked several of us to go and just sing this thing, and it just sort of seemed like another gig to me. In in some respects, I, did, I didn't sort of clock too much what it was about um, until, as I said, this sort of you know that the solo opportunity came along, and I went, oh yeah, right, this that that's what this is, you know. Uh, sort of um, the pennies kind of dropped a, a little heavier. And, uh, yes, so anyway, I did this jingle and they loved it and I enjoyed the whole process and the studio where I was recording it at also did jingles for other people and said, I really like your voice, you know, can can I use you on other stuff? So, so basically that's how my session career started is just from being asked to uh, to do this thing and word spread actually very quickly amongst the various studios that did jingles in Brisbane at that time which is where I'm originally from and it ended up being my kind of full-time thing for about 10 years started in 1990 I left Brisbane in 99 so it was pretty much the decade of the 90s it was my kind of uh, main job as it were mm-hmm. uh, I was doing like two three four sessions a day at that point, uh, all jingles, just jingles, 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 jingles. I couldn't escape my own voice. Like as, as soon as I would turn the telly on at night or turn the the sorry the radio on in the car, my voice would yes. <laughs> come out. Could never escape my own voice. Oh my um, and yeah, some sometimes there would be like three ads of mine in a row, and and people would ring up and go, "Ooh, it's the Kim Chandler show." It's like, <laughs> well, I. I don't have anything to do with the scheduling, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it was just the sheer amount of work I was doing at that time kind of led to um, those things happening. Amazing. Yeah. So so, and, uh, so anyway, the other thing was that happened um, about mid-90s or thereabouts, I was sort of you know developing this kind of you know successful session career, is that people wanted to know how I did it, as in like how do you sing at that level? Why is this your job? You know, how do I get to do what you're doing? I love your voice. You know, these sorts of comments, and um, and they said, you know, people started saying we would really love to come to you for lessons. So it's like lessons, lessons. I said I haven't been taught vocally. I've just kind of picked this up around the sides because, you know, uh, at that stage there were no contemporary vocal teachers to go to. It was classical, which I didn't relate to. I love it to listen to, but I, my singing voice is just not like that. Never was. Um, so that wasn't really an option. So then another option was to go the jazz path, 
Yeah. But the jazz teachers all seemed to be just into scatting. So it was just like, you know, un unless you're into that sort of vocal improvisation, then even the, the jazz lessons weren't kind of an option for me. And, and I was quite oriented towards the jazz thing because of um, that the group that I was in, scat. But that was the harmony aspect, not the scatting, despite the name. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I, I wasn't required to have to do the vocal improvising. There were other people in the group that did that wasn't really my thing um so there weren't people around like me now uh to to go to so it was like well you're just going to have to sort this out yourself you're just going to have to work out how this works you know yeah. so it was a long circuitous route that's for sure um but so I was a bit flummoxed by people asking me you know can we come to you for lessons and I was like well, I I I, I, I Really? Um, well, um, no, that's <laughs> the short answer. And I deflected these inquiries for years, years, yeah. at least probably three years. And then I thought, hang on, Kim, you're really being a bit silly here. You are a trained music teacher because I, I'd actually straight out of uni done three years as a high school music teacher. It was the only time I had a, like a proper job like that. <laughs> so um, you know, I, I kind of knew the structure of teaching and I was already experienced as a teacher. It just wasn't in vocal pedagogy. Yeah. So then I kind of realized that, you know, I had this, the skill set and the qualifications. I just needed to understand more about the content and the concepts of, of how to teach singing. So then I started sort of swatting up on that and um, gingerly started um, offering singing training from about 95 onwards, 1995 onwards. So so I've been a session singer for 30 years as of this year and a vocal coach for 25 years as of this year. Yeah, it was just the most kind of unexpected route because it, it, it's like singing found me. It wasn't that I pursued it actively. It, mm. it really was something that kind of came my way and I, and I said yes to things that were offered to me found out that I actually really liked it and and just kind of ran with it. That's amazing. Such a brilliant story. Thank you for sharing that. You're yeah, welcome. I mean, I still I still do play the flute occasionally. The poor little thing is over there in the, the corner, the oh. same one that I've had all this time since wow. uni. Yes, Gosh. solid silver. It's beautiful. Oh. Um, but, um, yeah, I, it, it hardly sort of ever gets a, um, a look in these days. But yeah. um, there's the occasional show where I, I still have to get it out and I've still got actually quite nice tone. I just don't have the chops anymore because I don't really keep them up. So along the route, and I'm really interested in the, in the when you found, because I think it sounds as if it, I had a similar journey just a little bit later, um, was, was when you then went to try and find out the questions that you needed to know to be a great vocal Ooh. teacher. It's like, yeah. did you train then, did you get some training in Australia about that or did that, when did you come to the UK and how did 99. that 99. Oh, 99, yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so basically what I, what my go-to was from the mid 90s when I, when I started kind of, you know, taking this more, that side of things more seriously. So I've got lots and lots and lots and lots of, of books. I just read voraciously, asked lots of questions, went to any courses that were available at the time, which weren't many, yeah. I must say. The provision of those things these days is incredible. Oh, gosh. Uh, but back then it was, it was thin on the ground. Uh, but what, whatever there was around, I went to. But as I said, the, the the big missing piece of the puzzle was the fact that there was no one in person mm. that I could go to because that specialty didn't really exist in Australia at that time. I mean, you had people like you know Seth Riggs and other you know sort of American coaches that were really you know paving the way for CCM yeah. at that time in, in in the 80s. But they were a long, long way away from, from me in Australia. And whilst the world is very connected these days, thanks to technology, they certainly weren't at that time. Yes. You'd so, have to you know, if someone was based in the US, the only way of having a lesson with that person was to go to the US or make perhaps, a, a you know, a phone consultation or, or lesson. But that the sound of that, just, you know, the, the sound mm. of a the very reduced quality that you get over a, over a telephone doesn't really kind of you know excite me much. Um, it's it's nothing like um, an online lesson is these days in yeah. in, in terms of the the sonic quality. So it, it was just that idea to me of all of the anyone that I can possibly go to in the scant amount of people that existed at that time were so far away yes. that that just wasn't really an option. So as I said, 
their books or you know the books of other people were my go-to yeah and there are some great books and obviously even now yeah there's some amazing yeah. books on voice so is there is there any sort of light bulb moments along the way that you'd like to share with our listeners just in terms of what you feel are the most important or valuable things about voice for you I really I would struggle to to answer this question if I'm honest okay. um, because there to me there are so many light bulb moments with any one person yeah. because you know how I generally view my the coaching clients is that I'm on a unique journey with each of them you know we've got uh, I've got my arm around their shoulder you know I'm not sort of dragging them along <laughs> you know or pushing them from behind yeah. it's a collaborative partnership with everybody and because each person is utterly unique in yeah. terms of where their voice is at, what their goals are, basically everything to do with them is is utterly unique. So I find that the light bulb moments are often very unique to that person to find out what is the key that helps to unlock that person's specific things, Yes, if that makes sense. Yes, it does make sense. The things that you see most of or more of. I yeah, I, I guess probably not, only because I, I teach such a wide variance of, of sub-genres that come under contemporary singing, right? Yeah. So literally everything from as light as folk pop, light, atmospheric, you know, esoteric, uh, beautiful, angelic-style singing, all the way through, and everything in between, all the way through to um, metalcore screamers. So because it is such a, a wide umbrella, even mm. within one genre, what's incredible is, is that it, what comes under CCM is still so incredibly varied. That's very true. That's very true. Now, yeah. As a result of that, what's going to work for the extremes here of the light folk pop singer to the death metal screamer, they're going to, they're, they're, they're it's so very, different. Di- yeah. very different modus operandi. Do, yeah, do you know what I mean? Definitely. Um, but I guess some thinking about it, if push comes to shove, everybody needs to, to, to understand how to warm up effectively, mm-hmm. how to cool down effectively, because these, these are things that apply to all singers of all types. Yeah. And of course, beyond CCM as well yeah, but you know, yeah so from a mechanical viewpoint how to to do it in the shortest amount of time that still gets you exactly into the zone that you, that you need to be but as soon as possible so sort of working smarter not harder less is more quality over quantity do you know what i mean absolutely um yeah because i i do find that that people in particular have a lot of misunderstandings surrounding warming up and cooling down me too there's a lot of people who do it for if they do it at all, I mean, there are pl- plenty of people out there who don't do it at all. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is the over-enthusiastic person that does it for way too long. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I've met and a it's few like, of those. You know, are you crazy? Like, why are you expending so much energy on the unpaid bit? Yeah. That just, why, why are you perhaps tiring yourself out for the actual gig? Mm. You know, you've only got a finite amount of vocal energy to give to the performance that day. So why blow that that amount of it on a warm-up, in inverted commas? People who are embarrassed, so they only do like really, really quiet warm-ups that don't draw any attention, um, you know, or, or laughter from fellow musicians or whatever, you know, saying, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. You know, when you're doing, you know, um, in the corner of the room or whatever. And then they have to come out and and belt out, belt out "Ain't Nobody" as their first song or something. But yeah. all they've done is in the in the corner for a bit. Uh, it's not exactly um, adequate preparation. You've just really um, tickled then, me. Then then you might get people who are really impatient. It's just like let's get this warm up done, shall we? If I have to do it, here we go. <laughs> yeah. literally do their highest loudest whatever straight up just because they just can't be bothered <laughs> doing the lead up <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean or another strange one doing really overtly classical warm-up exercises that sound basically like a classical singer warming up yes and then go and then go and do pop repertoire so probably not so big a, an issue for, for men because the the differences between 
classical male voice and, and pop male voice aren't as cavernous as they are for, for women. But none, nonetheless, it's, it's like it sort of sets up the wrong patterning yeah. for the body, yeah. you know. And it's not to say that classical warm-ups aren't effective or aren't great. Of course they are. They've been around for a, a damn long time. They've they've proved their metal, yes. right? Yeah. I mean, M-E-T-T-L-E, not M-E-T-A-L. Yes. Just, yeah, <laughs> just clarifying that. Um, but, um, you know, warming up in, in as style generic a way as you can, as unmusical a way as you can, mm. and, and just making it very clear that it's functional, only it's just getting the vocal engine ready. Yes. So I tend to be an advocate of short and sweet and non-musical. Yeah. So that it's that's really really clear that you're only warming up. This is not the gig. This is not a workout. The lines of delineation are are a little clearer. Absolutely. I remember reading a story that you shared online um, a while ago, which I thought was brilliant. And I just thought I'd bring this up. But if you don't want to talk about it, I'll just cut it out. But, but okay. wait, what? It depends on what it is. No, no, no. This is brilliant. Right. <laughs> it was something along the lines of to protect your singer that you were working with on tour, you had to lock them away. I did. From, I don't know if it was like the record label wanted them to go and do lots of interviews or something. Yeah, I did. I locked him, I, I locked him in, the, in his dressing room. <laughs> I think that's amazing. With, with me, yes, right? So yeah. it, it wasn't as if he was, uh, well, now this is sounding well dodgy. <laughs> um, but no, that really the, the motivation was that um, he, he was, uh, I was out on tour with this particular act. He's a really, really lovely guy and will do whatever anyone asks him to do. He's very generous. He wants everyone to be happy. And I felt that that was almost at his own expense, mm. right? Is it trying to make everyone happy almost at the the expense of him? Yes. And so it, it, it's not unusual for big artists who are out on tour to have to do a lot of press through the day, you know, yeah. interv- interviews of all different types, phone interviews and you know, written interviews and photo shoots and signings and blah, 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 blah. And that can be very tiring. Gosh, yeah. Right? Bearing in mind that this person's about to front a massive arena gig of 20,000 plus people and be the main focal point Mm. of that. So I just felt I I could sort of see him getting very tired. You're not even at the gig yet. Yeah. So that's why I, I knew he was not going to do it himself, yes. right? He was yeah. not going to protect himself. And so I thought, right, well, that's my gig here as as his vocal coach. I, I almost had to sort of become bouncer as well yeah. and, uh, and, and security. And, yeah, I just basically said, hey, you, come in here. And I said, look, I'm just going to lock you in here for a bit just to give you some time out. You look like you need some time out, mm. you know, Yeah. Um, be, because it's just – too easy for everyone around the singer to forget how many people want their peace during the day. Absolutely. And you it's know, so much pressure on him as well. So much pressure. Yes. Yeah. And, and to be yeah. able to then give his best performance for the That's arena. It. Yeah. That's it. So so my job there was to protect him in total, not just his voice, but because of course, you know, this indirectly or I would probably argue directly has an impact on his voice. Yeah. If, if, if he's tired out already by the time the, the gig happens, how much is that going to affect the, the, the performance? So I was kind of really just doing my job. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm, you know, just, I was like, I hope, Go, I hope, he, I hope he saw it that way. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, Let me out. <laughs> and then it wasn't just this weird thing. Yes. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. Yeah, he, I think that's fantastic. He, he, he did take it very well. And, and, and whilst he was a bit sort of like, oh, but people are going to be upset with him. He's like, Right now, that's not really my priority. Mm. You're my priority right now. Yeah. You we know? need you to go out there and smash it tonight and uh, it. get some that's rest. It. Absolutely. Yep. Some downtime, please. You know? Yep. Did the gig go brilliantly? Yes. Oh, that's the main thing. Absolutely. The, you know. Pleased to say. Yes. Yeah, fantastic. So what do you find now most valuable in caring for your voice? Do you have, I mean, obviously, I know how you like to warm up and, and not overdo it but do you do any other sort of voice care things well what I what I actually really like about the voice in general which I've sort of come to come to know over the years is it's not a diva Mm. and it's not weird and it doesn't need weird 
potions and pills and oils and preparations yeah. and things to run reliably and run well. Yeah. It just needs normal stuff like water. Yes. It, you know, good old water. In, in, hydration. In, 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 yes, uh, hydration of, of obviously various types. Good girl. Drinking. <laughs> I'm drinking my pint of um, water here. Yeah so, yeah, so, you know, systemic hydration, topical hydration. And, you know, because there's not really a lot of money to be made out of out of water, it can sometimes kind of get a bit bypassed and hoodwinked by the things that are expensive and shiny. Yes. And and special. Yes. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, but the voice really, it just only, it, it needs that. It needs some sleep. It needs some exercise. It needs love and appreciation. Oh, I love that. Um, and, you know, sort of gently kind of stroking the larynx and thanking it for the yeah. role that it plays in your life, you know, which as a singer is, it, it's everything, you know. For, for me, it's my, my love and my joy, but also my money maker. But for hobby singers, it's every bit as, as, as important for them. It's, maybe, you know, their, their income isn't reliant on it. But their quality of life absolutely can be. Yeah. Which definitely. is why, you know, in these very, very weird COVID times that we're in where, you know, community choirs and stuff are having to go on Zoom at best, um, you know, I, I hope a solution can be found to that ASAP because the quality of life issue of people not being able to sing out and sing regularly and have that whole kind of community thing is really impactful. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's a, it might be a slightly strange analogy, especially since I've not actually ever owned a dog, but I often use the analogy of the larynx being a little bit like owning a small dog where, you know, it just wants to please its master, right? Uh, you, got, you guys can have a great relationship just like you can with a dog. Fortunately, it lasts many more years than jo- dogs generally do. Yes. But... It is literally the analogy that, that I see because it's it's like what if you have a small dog, what are you going to do with it? You're going to give it water. You're going to give it food. You're going to give it sleep. You're going to give it ex- regular exercise and some playtime. Yeah. Um, but but also just love and attention and appreciation. Definitely. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, really... uh, yeah. So I often refer to, you know, look after your vocal dog. Yeah. It's like a pet. We have to look after these things. You know? Yeah. Yep. That's yep. really so, cool. I know it's a very it's 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 a bit weird, but um, you know, especially since you know it is just made up of our own body parts, <laughs> and it does live inside us. But nonetheless, it, I, I see personally that the larynx, whilst it is housed inside us, it does have its own interests and its own things that it likes. So, for example, when I'm presenting um, semi-occluded vocal tract sounds to people, so SOVT sounds to people, I will give them a whole swathe, like about. 12 at least and we let the voice choose yeah right so it's not me foisting on them my favorite ones it's not even the singing themselves Mm. that gets to choose either really the voice is pretty damn clear in in telling both of us which ones it likes and so we go with the voice's choice yeah not the owner's choice or my choice that's great. It's just that's tuning yeah. in, isn't it? Really tuning yeah. in. What does your yeah. body need? What does your that's voice it. want? Because you to I do? find so so many singers, um, even really you know long term professional singers, don't necessarily know how the voice communicates with them. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean via speech, right? Yeah, yeah. Help me, <laughs> right? But nonetheless, it it really has a very specific way of telling singers what it does and does not like. Yes. Straight away as well. Like, you know, as soon as there's a, a favorable, it, no matter how subtle, but a favorable change in the speaking voice directly after something you've just sung or a subtle or not so subtle negative change that happens straight away after you've just sung, mm. that's a voice telling you loud and clear whether it's thumbs up or thumbs down. That's very helpful to think of it that way, actually. Yep. Because I often say to my singers that, you know, if they're out doing lots of gigs, yeah. to ensure that when they wake up the next day, they have a little assessment of whether their voice is okay. Because yep. if they're waking up hoarse or they're waking up, you know, like they yes. really, they feel that they've pushed too much or they've done too much, then that's yep. a sign for them to say, hmm, I'm going to have to dial something Ab- down, you know. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, because I only coach um, people who are 
fully professional yes. either as as you know gigging singers <laughs> when a gig's going to come back actually they're starting to to be fair which is yeah. which is nice uh, through to sort of you know signed touring artists all of all of whom all of us are reliant on our voices for our income and yeah. joy in life so i would take it back even further to, to me if the the voice is showing wear and tear the following day mm. It's because of what was not attended to in the moment, right? Yeah. So in the, in the gig the night before, there would have been some at some stage the voice would have sent out a little flare of stop treating me like this, Mr. Owner, mm. you know, and we'll give a little nip, you know, yeah, right. Just there'll there'll be some sign, some little desire to cough or clear the throat or or scratchy feeling in the larynx or something that's the that that kind of you know early warning signal yes that will have happened and you just need to give attention to when that happens so that you can stop it from deteriorating into a slightly dodgy voice the next day so the person's either singing like too high for what they can handle, too low for what they can handle, too long, too loud, too something. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so that they need to make adjustments there and then in the moment when mm. when that warning when the voice sends the warning signal. They've yeah. got to listen there and then to actually avoid it unraveling any further. Absolutely. I mean I was I was still performing when I started um getting into voice pedagogy and, and understanding it a lot clearer to be able to teach well. And yeah. I, I was really um, I don't know how to explain it. I almost just sometimes used to get a slightly out of body experience when I was on stage because I would be noticing things as I was doing, you know, like if you've got to go on, you've got a bit of a cold and you can't cancel, yeah. you know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we've you, all been there. Yeah, so you just, you're working within the boundaries of what your voice can give you that day and then you're maybe a bit more cautious because you've got a cold and you're like, I don't want to yeah. make this worse. I don't, you know, there might be a bit yeah. of swelling on the top end or something. Yeah. You know, so I think it, it was really valuable when I, when I started learning that stuff, I suddenly was almost being my own teacher to some extent yes. you know what I mean and yes. then when you yeah, yeah. you apply it and then you pass it on to others so yeah that's Do- kind of doctor heal thyself yes, yes. yeah well I, I can honestly say um two things that in my gigging life have made an enormous impact something that I now routinely pass on to my clients and all of them bar none have considered these two things to be game changers one is really understanding the minutiae of vowel modification mm-hmm. and, and, and how to get the best sounding and feeling vowels, especially higher up in the range. Uh, because if you, if, you, if you land on a tight, yucky vowel, it can tire the voice out very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. So vowel modification, definitely game changer number one. And game changer number two is reducing glottal onsets down to the absolute minimum. Yeah. So what what I call my glottal reduction program, <laughs> and so it's not glottal elimination because that's really difficult to do to actually yeah. get rid of all of them, but every single one that you can save yourself and replace with a glide slide balanced, you know, smooth, coordinated, simultaneous onset. Mm-hmm. Because that seems to be all its various names, <laughs> or most of them. But again, wear and tear. Yeah. So 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 much less. Yeah. Um, and the songs, quite frankly, do not stand or fall on whether you it, whether it's full of glottals or not. Mm. And and I find that you know even though I'm using glottals all the time here while I'm speaking, it's a very easy speaking pitch and easy speaking volume, so it, it's not tiring. Yes. But as soon as it gets louder and higher, like it does on a gig, those glottals can grow teeth, mm. and they can just feel quite nasty. Yeah, and and they're just so easy to replace. So I just don't understand really why why they have to be kept kept. You know, yeah. it doesn't serve doesn't doesn't serve any anything in the song particularly, whether it's there or you know I'm talking interpretively whether it's yeah. there or not there. But just in terms of vocal health and stamina and pacing through a gig makes all the difference. Absolutely. Who are the voices that inspire you? Who do who do, could you never tire of listening to? Who who really well, gets you? I, I've got some really, it's a really interesting mixed bag, just like my vocal journey, really. I grew up listening to Julie London, Karen Carpenter. Oh, lovely. Right? Yeah, yeah. people like that is, you know, um, 
my my dad used to love playing the carpenters around the house. But curiously, there are I'm not going to name them, but there are other singers that he used to play that I don't like either. So it's not just it's not just a nostalgia thing. Yeah. Right. There are some that I went, oh my god, love that, and other ones went, mm, not so much. <laughs> right. So uh, it, it there seems to be something about the the lovely, low, lush, rich yeah. female voice. Which both Julie London and, and Karen Carpenter have in buckets. Yeah. Um, that seems to really do it for me. And even for the the singers that I listen to now, like Beady Bell. I don't know if you've ever heard of. Um, Be- oh my! Right. You've got to listen to Beady Bell. She's a, a Norwegian singer, and she has that whole thing going on. That gorgeous, womanly, low, lush. Oh, I'm, that. Yeah. Literally, I'm salivating. <clears throat> As we're as we're speaking about her, because I just she is one of my go-to people now. Like if I if I just want to chill out and just love life, yeah. um, it, it, it's it's her that I put on. Uh, and curiously, um, a friend of mine who's Victoria Newton, who's uh, an Australian singer who lived in London for many years, which is actually where we met. She was the lead singer of. You sure make me feel like loving you. If you if you remember, I remember that, that one, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. from that from the nineties, you know, absolute EDM banger. Yeah. Strike, Strike was the name of the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of her claim to fame. But she's actually a really gorgeous jazz singer uh, by trade, yeah. and her tone is just to die for. So I will I will put on her jazz album which I think she might be a little surprised to find that out but 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 nonetheless it's true because there's just something about her tone that I just absolutely adore and you know amongst the classics too the Stevie Wonders the Shaka Khans mm. the you know the Aretha Franklins uh, there's a gospel singer called Maloney Daniels M-E-L-O-N-I-E Daniels who has a, an enormous gospel powerhouse voice love that um uh, there's a whole stack of you know uh, black male singers who whose voices I adore as well. So that's pretty much my kind of bent, really. Yeah. So when on your re- you know your relaxation time away from working, it's Beady that, Bell. It's, yeah, it's like dreamy. Beady Bell. Beady Bell. Right. I'm going to look her up Beady afterwards. Bell. Love to ask you this and see where it goes. What does your voice mean to you, Kim? Oh. Um. I think you only really have to have a fairly decent bout of laryngitis, which I've had probably in my life about three times, I would say, where I actually lost my voice due to infection um, for a few days on each bout. That incredible frustration to not be able to communicate effectively in the world um, it affects everything. It literally affects everything. If you if you if you can't speak freely or sing to ex- to express things, I think it really has an enormous negative impact on your life. Yeah. So on that front alone, because I've had those experiences, and not everyone has, but believe it or not, there are actually people walking this earth like my mother um, <laughs> who have never actually ever lost her voice. She's never lost her voice, so she has no idea what it's like to not have it. Whereas, as I said, with these few bouts of laryngitis that I have had, it absolutely made me appreciate my voice more than anything. Yeah. That 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 thought of not having it or having something go wrong with it—that's that's more permanent than just a few days. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. So you know, it's it's that quality of life issue, the ability to communicate your your feelings through your own voice. I mean, the written word's cool. Mm. But you get so much more about the measure of where someone is at and who they are and what their personality is like and you know uh, their their accent says a lot. Um, their general personality traits can come through their, their their speaking voice that you don't necessarily get in the, in the written word. The the age of the person, the gender of the person, um, all, you know, all of these things are, are so apparent through our voice. Yeah. So that you know our voice really is it is just incredibly important to our lives in general as human beings but over and above that for the professional singer is it's it's our mate it's yeah. our workmate it's you know it's it's what we need to have a really good relationship with because we are so utterly reliant on it to 
you know, jump pony, jump, you know, when 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 we needed to. Absolutely. You know, I mean, honestly, sometimes. It, do you know about Crofts? Have you ever seen the dog Crofts? show? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. I've seen a bit on the telly. Have you ever there. seen it? Oh, you've got to watch it. It's just so adorable. But oh. there's it. There's this kind of obstacle course thing. Yeah. That some of the dogs do, where they've you know got to jump over this and go through this little you know kind of tube and blah blah blah. And the dogs, you can just tell they absolutely adore it, right? Aww. And they're like little torpedoes just go, going <laughs> through all these, you know, you know, and that's how I feel about my voice. And I'm going back to this damn dog analogy again, but I feel like the owner that's beside the dog, you know, d- directing the dog which direction to go through the obstacle course, right? Yeah. And this dog is just loving it, right? Just loving, just loving this challenge. And pleasing its owner, right? So what happens at the end when it's done its thing and it's done this perfect, like, course? Yeah. It literally jumps up into the arms of the owner and oh. and, and and they hug and the dog licks the owner's face and, <laughs> you know, that's how I feel about my voice. In a nutshell, that's kind of it. I love and, that. And, and because my work means that I have a very gymnastic vocal job either mm. as you know but well, I should say not either but both as a session singer which I do you know pretty much you know most days a week hours of singing in all different ways none, none of which I can necessarily predict it just depends on the job and what the job is that comes through the door as to what voice I need to use that day yes what range I need to use that day like for example uh, yesterday we had to write write a jingle for the US, which not, uh, when I say we, it's not the royal we, it's my husband and myself because <laughs> uh, he runs our, our recording studio and is, is a producer. So we sat there and wrote a jingle and then I ha- had to sing it and uh, sent it to the client and the client loves it, which is great. And that had to be sung with a strong American accent and, and very kind of, you know, powerhousey because it's, you know, it's a jingle, right? So jingles yeah. always have to be very motivating. And then there were some jingles for a presenter in the UK, so back to just normal accent again. And I also had to record a gospel song for um, a kid's educational product. Gosh. And for that, for that one I had to, it's sight reading, um, and I have to do all the parts. So I'm the lead vocalist and then all the backing vocals and it, it split into six parts at one point. Gosh. And I've got to do three tracks of each part. Yeah. Um, oh, and I had to sing, sing a, um, a Mexican folk song in Spanish for the same client. Wow. So that just, just, just to give you, I mean, that's just, you know, this week, right? Yeah. So that just giving you some sort of insight into just the mad array of, of different voices that a session singer has to do. So, Absolutely. you know, a session singer really is a bit of a gymnast. Yeah. Uh, vo- vocally um, or, or like a heptathlete. You're not quite sure, you know, what you're going to have to kind of bring out. Uh, but then with, the, as I said, the wide array of clients that I have for coaching as well, I'm changing hats with with each client because yeah. I've got to calibrate to their needs. Absolutely. I find not, that. Not my own. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's why I, I think I see, you know, my voice is the Crofts dog. I love that analogy. Yeah, that is yeah, so cool. Yeah, because it's 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 just literally how I feel about it. I think that's a really really fun way of explaining it, and it's also <laughs> really visual. <laughs> it's a bit weird to be fair. I think but, it's great. Know. So yeah. is so if I just finished with what is vocal freedom to you? So vocal freedom to me can kind of be summed up with three different M's. Okay. First and foremost, mechanical freedom which is technique because if if you've got any any blocks in the mechanism in the in the mechanical you know aspect of the voice it can't do the rest mm. right yeah so at, at at its very basic you know i don't think that i don't think that technique is everything that's not the point to finish but it's certainly the point to start yeah because you know it, we can't do much without that actually being in place next and uh, to me these are equal so the mechanical freedom and the musical freedom to me is you know basically understanding everything that you can about music yeah. that's musical freedom to me and we as singers or any instrumentalist to be honest needs both you need a, yeah. a, a you know a, a, an instrument that works properly 
but then enough musicianship understanding to create something meaningful that's music musical and artful yes and creative with the instrument yeah so whether that instrument is an external instrument like a flute or a piano or clarinet as you were talking about before or our own internal instrument it's still an instrument at the end of the day of sorts and then a, a third M is actually mental freedom and what I mean by this is being free enough as a person to give yourself the freedom to, to, to be vulnerable, to be out there, you know, and actually expressing very um, important human experiences. That really does sum it up fantastically. Thank you. That's just, You're it really makes sense. And yeah, because any, any blockage in any of those pathways as it were so you might have a a beautiful instrument mechanically Mm -hmm. you might have incredible musical instincts and 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 knowledge and understanding but if you are blocked up as a person yeah you can't express or you're holding yourself back or that's it yeah that's it so yeah yeah. and it's of course there is so much of our work as coaches uh helping people on that side of the journey not without obviously being therapists or anything but that's it but, of... but there, there, that is a component it, yeah. it's, it, it, it's a component we cannot avoid yeah. when we are dealing with human beings Definitely. because it is it's just kind of part of the deal but as you say sticking within professional boundaries yeah. <laughs> of course but um but if you think about any of those m's having an issue with it yeah that then totally... it kind of it creates a blockage right so you might have someone who's who is incredibly expressive and really free as as a person, um, and incredibly musical. But then something's gone wrong with their mechanism. Yes. Either they're ill or overworked, or something has has kind of you know jammed up the mechanism. Yeah. Right. Do you see that? Or you've got someone with gorgeous technique, who's free as a bird, but hasn't actually fed the mu- musical side much. Yeah. So therefore is kind of limited in the store of of expressive ideas musically. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's that's why I kind of figure those those three kind of sum up most of it at least. They do. And that really if you've got all of those ducks in a line, uh-huh. you're gonna get to your place of vocal freedom. Pretty much one one would hope. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so so much. Um, yeah, so I mean, is there anything? What's what's going on in your world at the moment? What's happening with? Uh, obviously, you're continuing with the work you can do from your studio. Yes, well, I mean, very very fortunately, we have been working online for many years. So we were one of the first recording services that was offered online okay. from uh, 2004. Was actually when we started Virtual Vocals. So my husband's an IT guy, uh, so he's really techy. And as soon as platforms like like Skype and stuff became stable enough to actually be be, be able to be used for producing, yeah, we we were able to start recording from home, and and it meant from from then on we were able to have clients literally anywhere in the world. Yeah. And in fact, our very first virtual vocals client was Canadian. Wow! If I remember rightly, French Canadian. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it started out as us doing like demo songs for songwriters worldwide and and things like that. But now it's just literally, you know, uh, very, very broad. Uh, As I said before, we do lots of jingles. Um, We do backing vocals on on people's albums and and just uh, singles and things. Um, We do film work. We do educational products, as I mentioned before as well. Yeah, so that side of things, fortunately, has kind of continued on as, as normal because it was running online for a long time anyway. And the vast majority of my coaching has been online for years as well. Yeah. Although I did have some expat singers down here, of which there are a lot, coming in person, but that's obviously all all stopped. And, and some of them have gone to online, even though they live down the road. It's a bit weird. But I've also run sort of professional singers retreats every year since yeah. and they've they've been incredibly popular and sold out very quickly. But I mean literally also people just coming down, just just one person actually flying down just for two or three days uh, of intensive coaching and all of that's had to sort of be put yeah. on hold right now. That, that will all come back at some point hopefully but, um, but for now fortunately you know we are very 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 lucky to have the technological options that we oh, have. Yeah definitely. And it all, all works very well 
Uh, in fact, I've got um, a webinar coming up through voiceworkshop.co.uk and that's on the 13th of October and it's called Beyond the Major Scale. And what, what I will be doing is introducing the concept of how to access or create uh, vocal exercises that are anything but the major scale. Ah. Because I kind of, I feel personally, there's a, a complete over-reliance on major everything when it comes to vocal exercises, mm. whether it's scales or arpeggios or whatever. There are so many gorgeous, yummy other musical patterns out there that it seems a bit little strange to me that we're that we just just keep having the wafer thin edge of the wedge of of just the major ones. Yeah. So I'm going to be introducing people via repertoire as well, just saying actually why do we need to get beyond the major scale? And it's because the songs themselves yeah. are based on a lot of other patterns, a wider smorgasbord, yummy, delicious yeah. smorgasbord of of musical patterns that we can be using as as vocal exercises instead of just unnecessarily limiting ourselves to the major scale. I'm not anti the major scale. I might I just want to be clear on that, yeah. but it's it, it's just that there's so much more. There exactly. is so much more. Yeah. We, so that so that might be something that uh, might be of interest to people that's definitely. coming up. Yeah, definitely. I'll put a link to that in uh, into Debbie's website on the show notes as well, so people can sure. find you that way. And 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 obviously, you know, as as we were discussing, you know, before you press the go button, the <laughs> um, the record button um, about funky and fun as yeah. well. My my vocal exercise product. So um, you know, people can sort of take take me home with them if they wish. Oh, it's great fun. You've been you've been in my studio for many, many years and I'm so <laughs> Poor you. No, I, I, I'm sorry, I, the ghost. The ghost. No, I love it. Jungle. It's been an absolute thrill for me to speak with you. And I as soon as the world is turning again, I'd love to come see you in Marbella and have Yay! some coaching with you. And yeah, because just... it's it's a really, really awful place to be stuck. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine. I just want to say thank you very much again for your time today. Thank you for joining me on the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom, feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast. Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.